Welcome back to the Chronically Fulfilled Life podcast. I'm Alyssa, and today I am beyond excited to have the incredible Queen as our podcast guest. Queen is not only a chronic illness warrior, but is a multi-talented individual, including being a dancer, teacher, actor, choreographer, director, producer, advocate, curator, marketing and social media guru, TEDx, and international speaker. The list can go on. She specializes in equity, diversity, and inclusion work, particularly focusing on violence, oppression, harm, and Indigenous relationship building. Hailing from Guelph, Queen is a local activist and the 2023 Guelph Local Hero, known for her leadership in the Solidarity March in support of Black Lives Matter in 2020. She is the CEO and owner of the award-winning organization, The Queen Company. Co-owns the Heels Academy. Queen's extensive list of achievements includes being a TEDx speaker, international speaker, and co-contributing author to notable publications. She held a residency with Guelph Dance, won Woman of the Year 2020, and received nominations for prestigious awards such as RBC Women of Influence and Women Who Rock Awards. Not to forget, Queen is your first Canadian National Miss 2023. This episode is a captivating exploration of Queen's journey, expertise, and her impactful work in the realms of social justice. In this episode, Queen and I engage in real, authentic conversations about the correlation between mental health and chronic illness, the significance of embracing vulnerability, and the inequities in healthcare. We also explore the intersection of race, health, shedding the light on the role it plays in overall health equity. You don't want to miss out on this inspiring conversation. So let's dive in. Before we dive into today's episode, it's important to note that the content we discuss is based on personal experiences, and we want to emphasize that this is not medical advice. Always consult with your healthcare professionals for personalized guidance on your unique journey. I'm your host and chronic illness bestie, Alyssa Trulove, and this show is dedicated to honest and realistic conversations about building a life you love while navigating the challenges of chronic illness. There is no room for toxic positivity here, and I promise you I will never claim to have a magic cure for your chronic illness. But what I will do is share my real life stories, provide genuine strategies, solutions, and invite some incredible guests to support you along your journey. You're listening to the Chronically Fulfilled Life Podcast. Hello, Queen. I am so excited to have you on the podcast. When I was creating this podcast and I was going through and I was thinking everything, Literally, I thought in my head, I was like, I have to have Queen on this podcast. I need her energy, what she's doing, her story, and all of the amazing insights and 
different things that you bring. So thank you oh, for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's really exciting. And I think this is such an important podcast as well, because it's allowing conversation to happen around chronic illness and around what people are experiencing. I think storytelling is the best route of telling and experience success. Yes, I totally agree. And what I love too is that we can share ways that you can build a life that you love. You can reach for your goals. You can set goals. You can do things in your life that maybe you aren't seeing are possible Mm -hmm. with living with your chronic illness or you are in that state of survival where you don't think there's any way to get out. Mm -hmm. So it's so great. And I want you to know that it is possible. It's possible to get to the other side where, yes, you are going to have a chronic illness. Unfortunately, at this point, there is no magic pill. If I had that, I would be giving it out like candy, everybody. But there is no magic pill. If somebody tells you there is one, run. Run fast and far away from that person. But yeah, so I would love for you to share, what is your journey with chronic illness? Yeah, my journey has been such, I think, a, a strategic part of my life, like truly is it has to have to like some strategy to it. But I was actually diagnosed at a very young age at 10 years old with fibromyalgia, which also looking back at the 90s, like that conversation in general wasn't happening around fibro, around even women's health. We're still not even there yet in terms of what we're talking about. But I 10 years old, I even think back like poor baby, little queen, like trying to get through that much pain. I think a lot of it was brought on at the time because of some of like my mental health things that were going on. My dad had left. I was struggling with divorce in my family, separation, what that looked like, and really struggling with identity because I was adopted. It wasn't just like your dad leaving. It was on top of like, you adopted me. Now you're leaving too. Like all these kinds of levels of complexities that I was dealing with in my own home. And many people don't know that some of these like illnesses kind of dormant in us until something might trigger it. I'm not the perfect doctor out there, but there are a lot of things that do kind of trigger our body's responses to stress, to grief. And then we process it in ways that feels like protection, but turns out to be, in this case, fibromyalgia, which has been a long, long journey for myself. Even what this, God, I don't want to age myself, but it's been 20, 30 plus years now. And I'm thinking, I still don't even have it under control some days. And so that journey has been really exponential. And quite frankly, I think I probably would have been diagnosed earlier with endometriosis had my doctors at the time been taking me more seriously. I was on a regiment of birth control as many of our females have to go through or female identifying folks have to experience. And those like hormones for my personal body were actually just making me so much more sick because I had endo. I didn't know what I was actually doing to myself through that process. And I thought I was trusting in doctors, but really they weren't my best recommendation. I have an amazing doctor now. And now years later, we're looking at a concussion. Like I cannot believe, I think I'm in the, I believe I'm in the realm of like head trauma officially because it's been over two years. And I think my concussion taught me more than anything because I was migrating as an adult as opposed to being a kid who was trying to find their voice or being a youth trying to find their voice. And then also having been in this life for so many years of other chronic pain illnesses, knowing my way around the system. And that's not only being a woman, but being a black woman and like the equities faced in that realm. So chronic pain has pretty much been a 
consistent part of my life. However, I don't let it be my life. I think that's one thing I really had to change as a young adult where I felt like I, I was like 15 thinking like, I'm not going to live past 25. Like there's going to be no life for me. And I had to decide that I was going to still live even if my chronic pain was a part of me. Thank you for sharing. That is so true. You brought up so many amazing points as well. Something that really stood out to me is talking about how mental health can be correlated a lot with our chronic illnesses, whether they are triggering things in our chronic illness or we are having mental health issues and more mental health because of our chronic illnesses. Because I've said this before and you'll hear me say it again. I think, well, anybody in this world, but anyone diagnosed with a chronic illness, part of your treatment plan should be mental health support. Uh, now, I know how much of a privilege that is, but you're put on meds, you're put on treatments, you're put on everything. But the mental health is such a big factor. So thank you for bringing that up because I think it is so important. And I just love your attitude. Even at a young age, when you were a warrior, you were like, this ain't stopping me. I am going to make sure that I am not just my pain and the person outside of my pain. Yeah, I think. I've lost a lot of people in my life as well along my way. And that's really taught me to reflect on what life looks like. And I love to live life. Like I'm an overliver. I definitely like to put that like, I never wanted to be at an age where I would regret passing away. And I can't believe I even had to think about this during my life. But like, this was where I was at. I was in and out of the hospital from 15 to 17, like sick, 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 sick. And all of these complications and I wrote a will, like I got really, really bad at some points. And it got to a point that you just start having to live. And you hear this probably from people that hit that near end of life, right? Like, oh, now I have life to live. And I think that that's just been a part of me because I also think I'm a little bit of an overachiever and I'll put that out there and an overworker for sure. That's just my nature. But I never wanted to leave this world not achieving my goals. Like I always feel like, okay, if I did, if I got the sickest I've been because of my chronic illness, I know I've done what I've always wanted to do. There's never like, I always have new goals to put out there, but I try to reach what I can per day. And really, like we always say that cliche live in the moment, but there really is something to say about living in your moment, as opposed to the pain of your past, what you know, you're going to go through with your pain soon. Like if I just thought about the pain I'm be dealing with at 40, I don't, it's not worth it. I'll worry about that when I get there. So that mental health component, whether that looks like medication, whether that looks like therapy, whether that looks like, for me, it's dance, that like that space is my mental health healing and maybe causes some more complications to my fibro, but it is my mental health space. Everybody just, you have to navigate your brain with that to say like, our mental health isn't affected by our body. It would just be like, a ridiculous concept, but it's so human of us to think that. Like, very human of us to think, like, well, we're separate entities within ourselves, but no, like, we are really mom, mind, body, and soul. It's so true. And if you do not know Quia and you are listening and you are thinking, oh my gosh, dance, if that sparks you, I have to tell you. So I was fortunate enough to meet Queen in Guelph, where we both are. And she has her heels dance class. So I remember I went and I was so nervous because if you don't know me, I am klutzy AF and just 
I was going to step out of my comfort zone and do this. And I was just instantly connected. And I was like, yes, okay, I can do this. This is happening and other types of dance that you do as well. But not only are you doing that as an outlet for yourself, but you're allowing other people to have an outlet as well. So I just, I think that's so powerful. Thank you. I think that's exactly what myself and my amazing business partner, shout out to Vanessa and Michelle. You know, we wanted a space to dance for sure, but we also wanted that space of community and being able to talk to each other. Sometimes times are just tough and sometimes times are also really amazing and you just want someone to celebrate with. So that space, I, I really do love hearing that because that was such a big part is nourishing like a brave space for people to come into. So amazing. Now, something that you talked about and you were talking about being a Black woman in the medical community. And I really want to touch on that. And I want to know in your experience how you felt race and health plays a role with equity health as a whole and how it affected your journey. Yeah, I think for me, it's, it can be a little different than maybe everybody's average story because I am adopted. My family presents much different than what I see in the mirror. I have a very Irish Italian family. I love my mom, but her her experiences and my brother's experiences as Italian males in Guelph are very, very polar different from mine. And I think at the time too, when you're growing up and you're in that doctor's office, you don't always see other people's experiences, right? Like you're not there to know, like you might, like, I felt like, oh, everybody's going through this. This doctor is just a bit of a, can I swear on this? <laughs> you can do whatever you want. A- yes, you can, because he probably a dickhead. No, but <laughs> That exactly. Like you have these assumptions, like probably everyone's going through these. And I think too, in the nineties, thousands, we were still in that period where we weren't calling our doctors out. Our doctors were like our lifelines. They're like the people we entrust to tell about our cars. Like they were like 100%. And everything that they said was what you went by. It was like, if they tell you. Yeah. Yeah. It was like the Bible, literally everything that they told you. And I was in that mind frame myself for Gosh, almost a decade, because if you don't know anything else, you just know, okay, the doctors are there. They're like your superheroes. They're guiding you on your path. They're doing. Not all doctors are built the same. Yeah. So there are, like I said, amazing physicians and doctors and specialists out there, but there are a lot of shitty ones too. And ones who aren't looking out for your best interest. A lot of, you know, the medical field for so long was migrated by statistics and like how much medication you were giving out to people. There was a lot of shady deals happening behind out. There were a lot of doctors getting cars. We know these things as they slowly started to come out and people are getting misdiagnosed and diagnosed all over the place. If anyone has the opportunity to watch the opioid crisis Netflix documentary, it really breaks down like how opioids came in. And look, I believe there's a place and time for a lot of medication. I'm pro cannabis. It's what I use. But there is a time and place for different medications. I didn't believe the opioid crisis had to happen how it did. I didn't feel like as a Black woman, I needed to be told to be put on like antidepressants. Here's your opioid. Here's your morphine. Here's your... I was on almost 13 medications at like 12 years old. And if anything, it was just killing my liver. There was nothing actually benefiting me. I was taking medication for medication. Like I had one medication that knocked me out so bad that I had to get my mom to put in medication in the morning to help me wake up like this was just like this constant battle and I felt 
even more present when my mom started dealing with her own chronic pain issues and seeing the reflection on her, her treatment of care. Um, more often than none, I've been always told, you people come in to get our help. You people this, people that look like you. Um, that, that is a lot to navigate in the medical field. I personally believe there's a lot of doctors that traded in their like, um, like white hoods for white coats. It was just another way to kill off BIPOC community. And this is not specifically to Black community. I can speak to that as a Black woman, but like our Indigenous community, looking at the rates of which we were losing them to medical health, the rate at which the pregnant Indigenous and Black women were losing their lives in the pregnancy room, the rate at which cancer was going unnoticed in bodies, the rate of like mental health was like 20 to 25% always higher than any white female body, but was never looked at. There's never statistics collected. There was never support. And more importantly, a lot of like the social work and mental health support is very like white colonial standards. So it doesn't always play into an African or Caribbean indigenous lifestyle or heritage or culture. Like a lot of that wasn't looked at. There was a long time history of a statistic statistic that black bodies handled pain more than white bodies it really came out of like this kind of enslaved conversation when we look back at the heritage of the transatlantic slave roots but that idea that black people could just handle more pain and therefore weren't sick like is just mind-boggling to me and that stemmed all the way till now like, we're still dealing with some of these inequities and effects that have been kind of the outcomes of like racial indifferences, particularly for me, I don't even think I have a working shoulder anymore. Like my rotator cuff is messed up. I still dance. I still move. But the reason that is, is I never even went past the surgeon's office because we got in a massive fight in the room and he told me my people like to come in and pretend like we're in pain. And I looked at him and I was like, by the way, I sit on the Ontario health teams as an anti-oppression leader and I'm going to be making a complaint. Um, and that's a constant, like, I cannot tell you how frightening the doctor's room is for me because of these experiences that happen. We could probably have a whole podcast just touching on that. And that's not just me. That's we're we're looking at other communities that are affected by this. We're even looking at LGBTQ community and I'm going to put it out there on like the wealth imaging and those whole conversations around where we go to get imaged isn't safe either. A lot of these places operate off of racist, homophobic thought. And we're and transphobic, might I add. So for us to even like step into the room and then create a trusted relationship before you even touch my body is a hard thing to kind of move past. Eventually you need to because your health is, is a concern. But I've never felt, um, I felt like the easiest thing for people to do is just put another pill on me and say, you're fine and it's going to be fixed. And then I went undiagnosed for years with things and was I almost got down to like, I'm quite a, quite a tall girl. You probably can't see, but I'm almost five nine. And I got down to like nearly a hundred pounds. I was like bone and skin. And they kept telling, it's in your head. It's in your head. It's mental health. And I'm telling you, there's something wrong with my gut. And I okay. overlooked and it wasn't until I had to call my mom at that time. I was a teen. So I was kind of, well, late teen. So I was kind of managing my own life at that point. I called her because she's a nurse in the field and it took her to come in and I don't know about you I don't know how many times I've been in a doctor's office and they're explaining stuff to me like I know Latin 
doctor language. A hundred percent. I actually just did a reel on that and about how if you are in the doctor's office and you don't understand something, you are allowed and you have the right to say, can you explain that to me? Yes. Or can you, what does this mean? How is this going to affect me? Because a lot of what they're saying to them, it's just like, la da da, like I say this every day, my language, here we go, you know, blurting things out. Yeah. But like you said, it goes over your head. You get caught on that one thing they say, and then you can't absorb any of the other information. Yeah. So I'm a big proponent of having a support person go with you to your appointment. Yes. Like having somebody, whether it's a trusted friend, a family member, a partner, somebody that has your best interest heart, having them go to the appointment with you because if for some reason you are, you can't handle it or yeah. the amount of times I've been bawling in doctor's office because I get in there, you know, to be able to say and like you brought up, which it's unfortunately the very real truth of people not feeling safe. Mm -hmm. And if you feel that way, it is your right to not have that doctor see you, to be referred to another physician, to be referred to another specialist. Mm -hmm. You do not have to just go along and feel like have those feelings inside. And without having that trust with that doctor, you are allowed for them not to touch you and not to be the doctor you go to. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's a challenge for people because, again, like someone like myself, it's like, but then what doctor and what physician? And is it going to be? I know. Or the struggle that many of us on, on Ontario, Canada are really facing is like no access to doctors. But I think what that really brings me back to is like, is your body at the end of the day? And I really learned that by working in the cannabis education field and educating patients. Because for cannabis, it's very like, what does your body handle? What dosing does your body handle? You have to listen to your body to decide where that fits for best for you. I can't make a recommendation. A doctor really can't. We might get to that point if people started studying endocannabinoids a little bit more, and then we could maybe pre-diagnose people based on a blood test. I don't know. But for where we are now, a lot of that's like self-work. And I, I do wish like when the cannabis industry came in, they said, everybody has to have an educator as well. And I'm like, great, because people can be educated. But what if we also did that for the opioid crisis? And we said, here's your medication, but here's your educator to help support migrating through that. The fact that, you know, we use fentanyl not only for we have a massive addiction problem coming from it. We use it on death row, but we're also giving it to our cancer patients, which is what it was originally meant for. And we're now diagnosing small doses to chronic pain patients, or if you go get your tooth pulled, like we are really looking at the way that like physician care has started being operated through a political lens and a governmental structure that is really like health pharmaceuticals at a like a really high level of money, even though they're valued, even if you like went onto the black market, which don't went onto something like these, you would see how low in cost, like it's cheap, 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 cheap. And we're charging people astronomical fees for them to begin with here if you don't have coverage. And then on top of them, we're misdiagnosing people, like truly misdiagnosing people. I think medication has a purpose. Like I said, but not when we're overdosing patients, not when we're, 
you know, telling patients, okay, well, you're still in more pain. We're just going to up the dose instead of figure out what the root problem is. Yes, that is so true. They're just throwing it around like candy. And like you said, when you are dealing with cannabis, you are having an educator. It's educating you on it where for most cards, and this isn't everywhere, but just from my own personal experience, you go to the pharmacy. The doctor kind of says, okay, I'm going to put you on this. You get a script. You go to the pharmacy. They come over. They tell you two or three things. And then that's it. Conversation closed. Like one of my new meds I was on, I don't remember which, but it doesn't matter. But basically the pharmacist said, you have to take this every day. If you don't take it every day around the same time, you can have a heart attack. And I was like, nah, (laughs) nah, that's, I was like, excuse me. And then that was it. Like conversation done. Let's take the next. Yeah. Literally. Okay. So it's important that you take it. I'm like, is that fear that you're putting, you know, it's so connected. Yeah. It's so connected. Thank you so much for sharing that because that was all so powerful and also just a different perspective. It's good to hear different lenses of conversation. I think it's so important because all of our experiences are so different. And I think, like you said, storytelling, it's important to tell because I hope when you're listening to this podcast, you can connect with some of our stories and the people sharing it to know. And one of the biggest things I want people to know from this podcast is you are not alone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You are not alone. Yeah, and it it can feel so lonely. And I will preface just one other thing, just to wrap up that last question. If folks are listening who are from the BIPOC community, Black Health Alliance is a great place to start online for a resource. And if you're not part of the BIPOC community and you're trying to look to understand, you're not going to find much online. Canada doesn't collect a lot of stats, particularly around health, women's health in general, let alone looking at Black women's health or Black Health, we do have some statistics that were collected through like the Black Health Alliance. But when you look for these things, they they don't exist. So when people say like, the U.S. is so behind, I'm like, yeah, but we're behind in other ways. Like the U.S. at least has statistics that they've been collecting to allow accountability to be held, which then allows us to fix and at least find solutions. We're not quite there yet. So encouraging like more conversation to your MPs and local councillors about health equity. I mean, amongst the other hundred things you have to be doing to MPs, it, it is an important realm because, I mean, everybody's health is important. We all bleed the same blood. Yes, I'll link that below in the show notes as well so that if you want to do more research or take a look, please do. So thank you for sharing. Of course. Now, I want to switch gears a little bit. Oh. And I want to talk about how you have created, and we're going to go into entrepreneurship because you are an entrepreneur. And I want to talk about your journey of how we got to that point. What made you go down that road and also how it has allowed you to honor your body? Yeah. So for sure, I think a part of it is like, I started working at McDonald's like any teen at like 15 and right away, like those eight hour days just standing really added up but you're a teen so like you overlook things in certain parts of life you just operate differently but that really shifted as I started to get into university and college I did do two different degrees one here in Guelph and one in Toronto and Guelph I hardly made it through like 
just slid by by like a sliver. And a lot of that was because I was in and out of the hospital. A lot of that was because of my um, my health, particularly in the mornings. Mornings for me are a struggle no matter what. Doesn't matter how awake I am. It doesn't, my body might be doing something different. And that really that like reflected into my work life. Like I just couldn't work the same. I love my serving jobs because I do like being around people kind of. And sometimes I say that very some people, has, some doses. Yeah. Well, sometimes, some places. So I really did enjoy, you know, doing my serving job, but it was quite frankly like hurting and help hindering my body from a lot of things and as many chronic patients are like nobody likes to feel like they can't do something right like that you can't when you know that your body probably could in a different time period or atmosphere ask me tomorrow when I get more rest like that's like such a internal struggle to deal with um and I think I had a breaking point that was kind of too focused one um the racial inequities I was facing within the workplace, which is a whole nother podcast, I'm sure, and a whole nother conversation. But my health, like it didn't make sense to me that I would have be forced into these 9 a.m. shifts. Like, well, you got to do the morning shift because that's what they schedule you. Or then I'd be on a night shift. And then if I didn't have access to eat dinner, which for my body is really important that I get going, I would like start to crash, get dizzy. I'm not big of a breakfast eater just because my body's not ready. So that's just how I worked. So like there was always these things kind of coming up with my health. I'm also terrible at sleeping. I'm probably one of the worst out there, particularly around my pain and my fibro. And so if I didn't get a good sleep and I had to get up the next morning for work, like all of these things became a hindrance. And I said, I can't do this anymore. And my breaking point was my journalism job where I was like commuting like an hour to work every day. And in Toronto, where I was at that time, like subways. Mm. Mm. Toronto's system, first off, those subways go down a lot. So like that anxiety and fear that like I might be on the subway and I might shoot my pants. It might happen. Or I might be stuck and faint because I just don't have enough food in my body. Or like the list could go on and on or just like sitting on the subway. Like you just want to get home because your back is like the like already your body is like and then you're like already in this like protection anxiety mode before you even get on so that's already rumbling your stomach up like there's all these levels like things were just not working and I think for me and many people with chronic pain it kind of leads us to this entrepreneur life and again mine was two-folded but very driven by the fact that I needed to restructure particularly my mornings most people know I don't book anything before noon. It's like a pretty, if like you happen to call me and I'm free, great. It's the time I do emails and leave time to post on my social, but I do not book anything because I know I could be in and out of the washroom. I could need that extra sleep, um, particularly in the last two years dealing with head trauma and concussion. I might wake up with a migraine that I can't come out of and I have to honor the space of my health. And as an entrepreneur, one thing I had to learn along the way, too, was like the work is always going to be there. Like no matter what I do, the work is always going to be there. I mean, they're going to be three hours behind, a month behind. But it's... I saw one of my like really good business partner friends post her July recap yesterday. And I was that made me feel so heard. I was like, I feel seen. <laughs> that is it. Um, like that is so uh, so true kind of all put these like pressures on us based on like 
social media, our jobs, making money, putting a roof overhead, which we're already in like kind of recession, the desperate doomsday times these days too. But allowing myself grace did create like the life I've kind of always wanted. Like I don't have to get up past noon. Does that mean I work later than most people? Yeah, I do work to like eight, but I do better than because my body is operating better. That's just for me. Um, I found ways to like have nap rest times within my day. For me, like my concussion, my body after sitting a long period of time, I need either like a stretch yoga, a meditation to lie like straight down and not be in a chair, like getting up and moving. I have an ergonomics chair. Let me see if I can show it off. One of those like one of those rising tables. Oh, yes, yes, yes. My like. My my little window thing, curtain getting in the way, but I got one of those tables so I could stand and work. I can work. <laughs> like a lot of these things, sure, they cost money, but I had to set aside, like, I'm not getting Starbucks or Tim Hortons. I must save my money and put it in the health pot. And mm-hmm. that. Also, there's ways to, like, also put it into your taxes and health. And there are things. Oh, yeah. That is a business expense. Yeah. If you know, 100%. you know anything, I just learned about the disability health tax, which I had no idea if you have food allergies. No idea. I had no idea that exists. It's not just for people who lie under like claiming they're under disability, which they might not be working. It's for everyone who experiences Mm -hmm. versions of disability. I had no idea I could write off some of my because of my health allergies. Like, I did not know that either. I'm just I'm learning this now. I was like, what? (laughs) Yeah. And I think these are important things. Like if you are not feeling well, but you want to still do something, take an online course or look at health equities and the government site. Like I know it's a lot to migrate through, but if you feel like your brain is active, but your body isn't, these are ways we can help ourselves. And I'm learning too still after, you know, 25 plus years of dealing with chronic pain. Every day we're learning, right? We're learning, we're evolving. But something like that, it's a perfect example. It is not not one doctor who would know that you have like dietary issues or Yes. Medication issues or like anything like that has not been set up with it, right? The resources that we need that aren't just medications are not being able for us to access. They're not connecting us with maybe support groups or connecting us with other resources outside of medication and treatment. Yes. And I agree. And I think a lot of chronic pain, I hate to say this to chronic pain patients. I really, really do. But I must say it anyways is you do have to take your own control. And I say that because honestly, it took a breath of fresh air off of my back, knowing that like I had the control because the, the medical system is just not great overall encompassing, let alone when we look at chronic pain and how it's dealt with in the medical system. If I wanted to go see a, like a fibro specialist when I was so young and figuring out how to migrate through my life, I would have had to pay like $30,000 to go to the US. Like that, that was the option. There are still doctors who say fibro doesn't exist. There are still people who think that chronic pain is just in people's head and not in their body. Now, that being said, I do believe that, as you said, mental health and chronic pain have a huge correlation as well. It doesn't mean that it's in your head. It means with your body. Like, this is just a part of the process. And I learned as an entrepreneur that like giving myself my own timeline, my own schedule, my own ability to say, I have to cancel instead of having to call a, like a manager to 
book off the day to then feel guilty to then my body also crashes and burns like that whole process is a lot for people like people think it's just easy to like call in and call off sick when you're not chronically well like it's different if I just want to go to the birthday party but if you're not chronically well your body your mind wants to go your body just like can't physically do it and I truly believe people who have never dealt with chronic pain just don't get it it you can try as much as you want and I bless my heart of like my 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 partner who does so well at listening to what I'm going through and my friends but like it can be difficult to really understand at the root. Like I'm probably like a six out of 10 in pain every day, but that's just like, Listen. that's just how it is. It's your normal, right? And when it's not somebody's normal, they really don't, they just don't get it. Yeah, They don't, and they try to. Like my partner like tries and does a great job at helping me advocate and all of that, but they really don't know what it feels like on your body or like you said the mindset part of it wanting to do something and your body is not allowing you to do it yeah when you feel like your body's attacking itself it's like a uniquely fucked up thing no that's such a good way to put it and kind of how I felt with my concussion like for a whole year I was saying like to my partner I'm just not me and I don't know how else to like explain it and then I'd meet a concussion person who was like oh I just didn't feel like me for a while and I was like thank you thank you because and that's why it's so important you're not alone finding those support groups is why I say taking hold of your own chronic pain journey is so important like you've done by finding this podcast and finding a place for yourself that felt um, responsive to your body as well is really really valid um and something I think people have to do for themselves because the doctors are not going to do it for you. Guaranteed. There are some amazing physicians out there who have made great recommendations, but for the most part, they're also dealing with a hundred other patients. So taking control and finding your support group, reaching, following podcasts, because then you're going to get to know more and more and more. Like we just talked about Black Health Alliance, disability tax. Those are two new things, right? Like that, both conversations. I'm in three fibromyalgia groups on Facebook. There are days I just go there to just feel seen. Like, that's it. I don't even interact. I just look at somebody else's post. I'm like, okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm not alone. Those things really, really help. There's a few books that I've been doing. I try to stay away from the self-care book, self-care, like self-help books. I think they're really designed for people who live like, I'll put quote unquote, a normal life. I don't think they play into like the world of like, chronic fatigue and chronic stomach issues or PTSD or like all these things. Like, I don't think that plays into it because life is not just like this linear line upwards. It really is this kind of roller coaster. No matter what you do, like you're on this like trapped wonderland ride that you're just going upside down. And it's jiggly one that that, that, the the wood one. Everybody knows that wood one. (laughs) Wonderland. That my stomach just turned thinking about yeah. it. Yeah, and sometimes like that's the same feeling I get when I think about like my next flare. Like, oh, flares are like the worst to migrate through, but okay. you just have to. So finding those like tools for yourself and not just waiting, and it can feel like why isn't someone helping helping me? Like that feeling. But as you get those tools for yourself, you find the people along the way with the help and quite honestly, like the genuine people who also probably understand what you're going through. Yes. 
Thank you for sharing. Because it's so true. Finding people that understand you, it's like you're speaking your own language. Yes. And it's wild when you have a conversation, like you said, about the concussion, where I was talking to somebody the other day that I connected with. And I was saying, I am in a flare. I feel like somebody's stabbing my vagina right now. And they're like, oh, my God, I get it. Like, yeah. That was like that last week. You know, so it's like they they understand the language that you are speaking, which it's so powerful because, like you said, even going into that group and seeing somebody say something, you realize you're not alone. Mm -hmm. And you realize, okay, take a minute. It's not in my head. I have things here. Like, my pain is real. It's not in my head. Because we have to constantly remind ourselves. Yeah. Because some days there are days where I'm like, I'm making this worse than it is. Mm -hmm. Is it in my head? And I know truly within me, I know it's not. But you you get to the point where you think it is. Yeah. And there's a lot of, you know, studies around, you know, that lead into like the physician world. And I mean, physicians in terms of like massage, physio, like that type of care outside of the doctor's office that teach us, okay, well, we have to decrease what we're telling ourselves in our brain so that it allows us to work through processes like physio, allows us to I think there is a time and a place, but this is why I say like that mind, body and soul is so important to have as three elements or else you're not aligning yourself because there are people who like, there are times I project my pain and I don't mean more than it is. I just put these doubts into myself that I can't get through it or I can't get through like this workout or this physio thing because like, oh, it's just too much today. There are moments you do have to also like, push yourself a little, a little bit, but you have to also play into that mind, body, and soul. Can your can mind handle it today? Can your soul take part of that weight that your body can't today and migrate through that way? It is. It's, I love how you say that about aligning your mind, body, and soul, because it's so true. Your soul and your heart and your emotional health mm -hmm. is such a part to play. Yeah such a part to play and you're almost you're learning even when you were little you're learning to get to know this this new person yeah you're learning because it is when you develop a chronic illness or chronic pain you change mm -hmm. and we all change every day right we're evolving but we do change in ways so learning what does this person like what do they not like what is our favorite outfit what do they like to eat do they like mornings or nights you've learned you're not the morning person, right? So learning and realizing just because this new version of yourself is different, it doesn't mean it's not lovable and it's not worthy and it can't live this life that you want to live. Mm -hmm. Because you can, there are ways that you can do it. You just have to do it in a way that supports, like you said, your mental, your physical, your emotional, body, mind, and soul, all areas of your body. Yep. And I incorporate think, that. Like how boring our lives would be if we were like the same person day to day for the rest of our lives. Like how boring. So boring. And that doesn't mean like I want to be dealing with pain, but I think it gives people like a different perspective on how to operate through life and what life looks like for them. There are people that might not get as many hardships and don't see like their value in what we're given. For me, I believe in creator and I believe in God and I believe in Finding a faith that works for you, whether that's yourself, whether that's creator, whether that's Allah, whether what that whatever that is for you, finding that as your like soul element. And I'm also learning 
I think I've projected a lot of things that I was maybe taught or saw. Like when I think about like the movie Girl Interrupted, like how people were cared for based on their mental health. Or like when we'd watch a movie and a girl would be like crying in a shower and how that makes it seem like, you know, like this is like a bad thing. Like this is like the negative thing when really like for me crying in my shower and like hot heat when I'm in anxiety is my safe space lights off. And I always feel like I'm crazy for doing that. But it really took me like last week, someone said like, today is the first day you're living. And I was like, I was like, nah, bitch, I've been, I would, I've been born. What do you mean? I've been there for living, but I've never lived today in this body at this time in this year. Yes. Yes. Soul in this entity. Like today is literally a new day and not judging preconceived notions based on what like kind of society has taught us. Like why are we not celebrating the women who find, who go into the shower, turn off their lights and put on the shower Mm -hmm. and just like cry it out. Like that's cool. Like, I would rather you do that than bottle it up inside. Or I would rather you find your outlet in whatever form that might look like. I used to love rage rooms in Toronto. Those were great. Those kinds of things. I'm just trying to change my perspective on what I thought, like, I don't even know. Again, I'm going to put quote unquote what people thought. Like, That's crazy. You're being crazy. And this really stems back from so much. Like, look at the, you know, the 1900s with hysteria and women like this concept of like white colonial men in particular really rooting our health and like this crazy antidote has put us in situations where we don't allow ourselves to just heal like for me thinking about a shower with water while crying is very mind body and soul Mm -hmm. it's connecting all my things so that i can get it all out but every time i come out of it i'd feel guilty and now like, I don't want to tell anybody I just did that yeah. because 100%, 100%. And then last week, one of my friends told me that that's what she does when she's like in anxiety. And I was like, well, me too. You're like, I feel seen. I feel seen. I feel, again, like I'm not alone. I feel because there's so many preconceived notions. You are so right. Even when it comes to doctors, when it goes back to everything with endometriosis. Oh goes back to fertility. Yes. And I can do a whole other podcast on that because my journey, especially from my experience, a lot of things, it was all about fertility, but then also, oh, if you're pregnant and try to give birth, you might die. But we really, all women should have babies, you know? The whole other separate conversation, but it's true. It's these preconceived notions. And I, I read this or heard this somewhere especially with our generation, we are in between the, I forget what they're called, Gen X, they're waiting before us. Yeah, where it was very much like you were told what to do. You were going by these rules, this quote unquote, the normal life you go through, yeah. you do the motions and everything. And then we have Gen Z, what, which is really empowering themselves to do whatever they want to do and takes control is taking care of their mental, physical, financial health, like all of it. And we're in the middle where our parents are in that generation of that kind of normalcy, like in, what word am I thinking of? Just like conservative, Uh, I guess. Like very conservative and everything. And then you have the polar opposite. So we're trying to navigate and 
make paths for ourselves that weren't made before. Mm. On top of trying to heal. heal. On top of trying to heal. heal. And I think, you know, you're challenging it because we've gotten to a state in our world where we've like, I mean, it's wild to me that Canada doesn't have like any regulations around trans fats. Like that blows my mind. Like there's a lot of trans fats are like illegal in the state. They're not allowed in the UK. Canada, they're even illegal in the states. Okay, that says something. We're just like, who cares about all those things we're putting into our body? I think for years we really went through this like period where like FDA, I don't want to say their name too many times, and government like started making these kind of sneaky moves. And you see like the rate of sugars. Like I even look at like Kit Kat. The other day I scanned it with my Yuka app because I like to scan and see what's good and bad for me. And it was like 100% cocoa. No. Like 2% cocoa. Everything else is fake, fake, fake. Like there's really like marketing schemes and lies that I think has allowed so much of like the health world from food to, is a challenge because health equity is so large. Like we could look at housing, like there's so Mm -hmm. elements to the health and your equity around that. And I feel like we're finally in our generation, like challenging so many things from climate to food, to race, Mm -hmm. to gender, like all these things. But then we're also dealing with what that stress and anxiety and effects of dealing with all that looks like on our body and health while migrating through the process. Like what I'm seeing, and I'm not ever taking away people's diagnosis. I am just seeing a very, very high level of ADHD, neurodivergent world happening to my my age category. I question... Not that people are misdiagnosed. I question what happened to our age group that maybe inhibited more of these issues, like whether that be too much bad sugar, whether that be the trans fats, whether that be what they're putting into our water, like estrogen and overproduced producing that. I feel like people aren't having that conversation because no one ever wants to diminish anybody's mental health or physical health experience. But I do question why so many of us in our generation suffer with chronic pain and mental health so much earlier. Um, I don't know if that's a diagnosis thing. I don't know if that's a conservative value thing. But there, to me, there seems to be, um, it could be also that we're drawing more attention to our bodies and recognizing comparatively to our parents. Mm-hmm. But I'm still seeing some things that make question what the government has maybe put us through health-wise over the years that has affected so many like 90s, 2000s babies. We weren't talking about what sugars looked like or organic food looked like during our time. That was no way. That was not a thing. There was no smart water versus Nestle. Like we are being served Dasani that has triple the salt than any other water. Like we're really not having what has this also done? Because again, for me, I'm always looking at that mind, body, and soul and how that relates Mm -hmm. to your life. I believe everyone's diagnosis is real. I'm really not trying to diminish that. I hope it doesn't come off that way. No, you're just exploring and you're challenging things because it's true. When our parents were raising us or our elders were raising us, they were doing what they were told, essentially, right? They were just, oh, you give your kids a Lunchable and a Tropicana fruit, right? Yep. I mean, that's why I'm obsessed with charcuterie boards. But, Ooh, but no. it's true, right? They they were doing that. They were just kind of going through. They weren't challenging. Yeah. And I think, like you said, 
our generation is challenging things. We're asking questions. We're almost like all of us, well, not all of us, but the generation is like when you're five and you ask why all the time, we're, at, we're still asking, we're saying why. Yep. And we're, we're maybe that question wasn't asked before or it wasn't asked in those regards because nobody knew, right? So now it's actually, okay, well, why am I going to do this? Or how is this going to affect myself or my children or what? Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's so funny. I love that. We must be like so annoying to people. Why? Okay. But why? Well, yeah, literally. Why? 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 Yeah. Yeah. That is. It and is I think that's who I am as a person too. Like I always like to know the in-depth answers to things. And I'm just recognizing like a tr I don't ever want to even trend us, but like this almost like trend to our mental health, like, it, and partially it could be because our parents weren't talking about it before and we are now. Like, I see mm -hmm. coming a lot further because of the work of so many people having these conversations. But I think for me, chronic pain is still completely overlooked, which is why I say to people, you never know what people are going through, have gone through, and are about to go through. 100%. Like, never know. Like, that person... I remember one day I was in so much back pain. Like, I can't even... I couldn't even manage and I was on my way to like an emergency massage to some mm -hmm. random masseuse because I couldn't see my regular, but I was like in so much pain. And so I was on the bus and at that time, and I remember this, there was like two older ladies who had come on and there was like all these like university students, there's all sorts of people. And I was sitting in one of the seats and this like gentleman looks at me, he said, he should be getting up for her. And I was like, okay, what? What about all the other people too? Like, and again, I don't know what they're going through either. But at that moment, like standing was like a big no for me. Not, and I think for many people on the outside, I look like a healthy, regular, moving, functioning woman. And you just can't make assumptions about people just because you can't see it. And that's one thing I, I think we really need to work on as like a compassionate humanity is like we just don't know what people are going through it is so true you don't know somebody's journey mm -hmm. and like you said you don't know what they have gone through what they're currently going through what they're going to go through and that is why i think a lot of the time with invisible illnesses it's so hard and we feel like we're shouting it because we'll look fine on the app nobody would ever know and same for mental health right nobody would if they look at you just straight on, they're not going to know. Yeah. yeah. So be kind. Yeah. Lead with kindness. Be kind. Be kind. Be kind to fellow human because you just, you never know. Even if yourself, when we are in our worst pain, we don't know what somebody else is going through either, right? So they could be going through something similar, something with mental health. Like it, we, we just never know. Yeah. So always lead with kindness. Queen, okay, so you are always doing all the things. Yeah. And I want to know what's going on with you now, what's going on with the Queen Company. Share, share, share. Yeah, so right now it has been such a year. So the Queen Company is operating under our events and education. We also have our TKC dance troupe, which has been performing. We're at a wrap for the end of the year. We had our last two performances this past weekend. But we come back nice and strong leading into Black History Month. And if people are wondering, I'm fully booked for Black History Month, basically. So if you want me, you got to get it now. But a lot of my work is really driven around, I think, Black-centered 
that doesn't mean that people aren't invited into the conversation, but I really like to put Black Centered at the forefront of what I do. Whether that be activism work, a lot of work around Palestine lately has been like just heavy, I think, for me and maybe why I also haven't been so well empathetically as a person, too. It's just a struggle. I think I fight for the oppressed. So I'll just put that there and leave it at that. And a lot of what we're doing as well is around our violence, oppression and harm training. I think EDI is cute. Like equity is cute, but like, does it get to the root problem? Does when we talk about inclusion, like it, it's exclusive to whom? And like, I, if we keep talking about EDI, we're just going to go through this kind of woke reality that's not defining. So I teach on violence, oppression and harm. And I think that also leaves room that it doesn't like segregate us as communities. I'm finding a lot of EDI means like, well, black and indigenous people are going through it. But there's also like Middle Eastern people going through it. There's also do have to look at how violence, oppression, harm faces all of us within, and that could be any level. Violence is like structural, economical, you go on and on and on, psychological, physical. So that's been in a really important element for me. Our dance troupe, again, we are doing some work with the local women's prison, which is very exciting to get some like really Black-centered education into the system. We also have our Heels Academy. If you ever want to come and dance with us, it is now Thursday nights, but you're also welcome to drop in or register a session with us. We'll be wrapping up in the next two weeks for the holiday season and then back strong. And I also came back as a winning pageant queen this year from... Yeah, you did. Sash over here. So Um, excited. There are some exciting things. I'm now a choreographer for like four different pageants, which is my favorite thing to do um, i love that for you and i'm hosting another pageant in new year i'm a judge for a few and just consistently trying to have more diversity equity conversation mm-hmm. um, within the pageant realm and then one of the things i would say is our next biggest thing and that will be announced tomorrow is beauty to the streets we are collaborating with your downtown friends friends in guelph if anyone knows them they're right by guelph concert theater or guelph Community health center downtown And they work Fridays and Sundays on bringing food and resources to communities just outside. We're partnering on them. And the really the goal of Beauty to the Streets is to bring local and small businesses together to bring what we are going to call care cafes to the homeless, those facing, you know, inequities and mental health and facing addiction. This is not a human issue. This is an economical issue. And it's viewed way too much, in my opinion, as a human problem. And something that I think we can resolve, and we saw that with the Christmas parade with all these little pop-up buildings, people are like, but where are the, where's the homes for people? So us, I think Beauty to the Streets really enforces conversation for people. There's a lot of education that needs to be needed, but there's a lot of help that needs. You can't just keep throwing money and clothes at them and walking away and saying, deuces, I did my job. That's not enough. It's, it's just not enough. Money can only go so far. Clothes can only go so far. It's really compassionate care. Some of the folks facing houselessness were you and me, but losing our jobs without three months that don't have maybe a parent around them for a social support or um, that uh, maybe face a health issue that restricts them from getting a new job. Like these are just normal people. And to see them as like, not worthy is really, really hard. We're losing people left, right, and center downtown. 
we are losing people to an economical violence, oppression, and harm issue. Truly. It's the best way to say it. So if people are interested, they can follow the Queen Company or me on Queen. Get involved. We're looking for volunteers. We're looking for tents, heaters. If you want to like donate press-on nails, like all these things. And I, I people think press-on nails, but I remember twice now in the last two months, I walked downtown, visited Royal City Mission and said hi to some of the folks and, you know, helped out. And people were doing their nails. I think we take for granted um, mm-hmm. when we have these things of like, oh, I can just go get my nails done. And it's maybe not just that. We all, we're all struggling, sure. But we take for granted like those things we do for ourselves, those small things. A shower, you don't even know how, you know, like after a long day, how good that shower is. Mm-hmm. And then lying down in your bed, like imagine just never getting it. Like, yes. it's just mind-boggling and we can bring those services i think this is a really great opportunity for local and small businesses to show how we can make a difference make the government look stupid make them look like oh we could have done that too yep you could have you could have so this is our opportunity to stand up so beauty to the streets is really just i'm so excited about it i'm so excited we've lined it up with your downtown well friends sunday service because it's the most accessible right? Like I'm not trying to make anything less accessible through the process. We will be working on like a documentary series as well and capturing quotes and experiences from local and small businesses and then quotes from some of our folks facing what are this economical issue. So for me, I think as someone who deals with mental health and chronic pain, a lot of those people are the ones that do end up in these positions. And so I think it's a really important conversation around health equity. I can't imagine not being able to go into my bath after a bad day or have my heating pad sitting beside me. I am very privileged and very lucky to be able to afford my medication. but That does not go the same for many people. People don't have access to physio and massage. This is a crisis. So I hope people know that the lens of health is much longer than just what's happening, larger than what's happening to our body. It's actually a full spectrum of housing, food, mental health, physical health. Like there is a really large conversation. So I think everybody has a place in it, whether that just be volunteering for a few hours, whether that be dropping off warm clothes. We have like 70 Kenyan refugees that are houseless right now in Guelph. So our country is welcoming in all these people and then giving them nowhere to go. So I, it's no resources, nothing. Just yeah. Even if it's like, you know what? I actually have a Big pot of chili I just made. And my family can't eat it all. I get it. We're all struggling right now. I, I, I'm not trying to deter that. But there are ways we can just do a small thing that adds up. And if you think your running shoes at home aren't great for you anymore, they might be beneficial. Yes. And there's so many different ways, like you just said, so many ways to get involved. So I encourage you, reach out, see how you can support in different ways. Are there opportunities for donations to this? somebody is listening and maybe they are not in the area are there ways that they can donate yes so they can definitely donate the best would be donating to your downtown Guelph friends you're welcome to e-trips for me as well and I can donate forward we'll also be collecting donations day of but if you go to your downtown Guelph friends they have an e-transfer they are a grassroots organization so take that as you must but that support goes huge 
way, especially in this season more than ever when we're facing the depths of cold as well and, and not just it's a survival period. So mm-hmm. it takes us all. I will make sure I will link all of that information. You can find that underneath the podcast. I am just, my heart is so full. I am so glad that you are with me today and that we got to have these bigger conversations. Yeah, I could talk to you forever. I know. It's just so amazing. And I just feel like the bigger conversations are so important. And people, like, we need to be a part of them because, yes, our bodies are in pain and we're struggling through this. But like you said, it's all a much bigger conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Take care of yourself. And I think, too, like, I think my last piece of advice would just be honest with the people around you. For so often, I was scared about telling my partner, like, I don't ever put it on my social, like, my my dating platform to never said I have chronic pain. And, like, I would be in fear of what that looked like, like, spilling the this, like, monkey bucket of, oh, by the way, I have sleeping issues and I'm in pain all the time and I have headaches and. But honestly, it's, like, those supports that get you through. And then you realize, like, other people are also going through it. Your friends might be dealing. You might find sanctuary at each other. Like my partner had no idea before I told him how bad my back was, how much his back was hurting him. We do need to be honest with each other. A lot of what our parents went through was like, keep everything to yourself, protect yourself, put on face. Stop doing that. If you're gonna It's not worth it. If you're gonna put on face, it better be a good beat by a drag queen. And that's the only thing. Otherwise, stop putting on face. I cannot there's nothing I love more that, that my friends express how they're feeling all the time. I know exactly yes. the moods. And sure, it shifts based on how different people are feeling, but I'd rather know than you like pretend and do. I did that for way too long. Yeah, and we're doing it for the sake of others, but the others don't care. Like, no. You know? It, like you said, the people in your life that want to show up for you and want to support you. You're not allowing them to. That's something that I really learned is because I would hide that for almost a decade. I would hide it or under-exaggerate it. And I'm And then they didn't have an opportunity because they didn't really know what was going on. So they couldn't show up for me. They weren't able to. So in my head, like you said, you feel so much more alone where when you're honest, those people, if they want to show up for you, can show up to support. You can show up for others because you're creating a safe place. And the people that are going to give you a hard time will screw them. They don't belong in your row. Yeah. Like, those are not your people. Like, to be with you. And you're going to hear it as chronic pain patients. People are like, you're going to have to take care of you, yourself, and you. Cool. But you need others as part of that. We're just Mm -hmm. human. I agree. You have to put yourself first. Like, you put on your mask before the kid on the airplane. That's the common, relatable thing. But there is an element, as you said, like, you can help each other like we're human beings that's the only way we operate but when we silo ourselves and I think a little bit that concept came through COVID when we silo ourselves that's when I believe the devil works stronger like so don't let him no it's it's so true that happens and when you're you can only do so much and then yeah like you said you're alone and you don't have that support system that can help you even if and I encourage you, even if you are calling a friend or sending a text message, or if they live further away, doing a Zoom, FaceTime, connect with someone every day because this life gets lonely. And I think COVID especially made it 
we saw the ways we can connect with people that isn't just seeing each other, right? Because I get it. Life gets busy. We're in busy time. But just those small actions go huge. They go huge. Even if it means your friends coming over and you're doing laundry or you're going on a grocery shopping date, all of those things are important. Connection. Yeah, connection. Well, I really want to thank you. I think this is something incredible that you're doing. I rarely talk about my health. So these moments to just express and share are just really beautiful. And I'm really excited where this is going to take you and the journey and take others and their experience through this. Because for me, it's just, it's made me feel more positive in like a weird way about my my shitty health experience. So I thank you. Thanks for having me on and spending time. Thank you. I miss so, and now we just have to plan to do it in real real life. I'm, I'm here for it. I love it. Thank you so much for joining us and listening to this episode. If this episode inspired you or you connected with it, we would love to hear from you. Can you do us a favor? Take just two minutes to leave us a review. Your words can make the world of a difference on our podcast journey. We genuinely appreciate your support. Hit that subscribe button and click the plus sign at the top to follow us. That way you'll be the first to know when a new episode drops. Trust me, you won't want to miss the exciting content we have in store. Remember, you are not alone on this journey. Until next time, sending you love, hugs, and all the spoons.